And by the way, I am preaching angry today. I'm preaching angry. I woke up and I knew I shouldn't. I don't know why I did, but I just scrolled through my news feed. You should never do that before you preach a sermon. I saw, and it's exactly what we're talking about today. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 6. But evidently the Anglican church has just hired a consultant to help them figure out how they should identify and use pronouns for God. I mean, can you believe the stupidity of the world in which we live? Take, yeah, <laughs> Rob. <laughs> I mean, when, we, when I went to seminary, nobody sat me down and said, this is what you're going to have to be dealing with in 15, 20 years from now. This, it's, it's, non, it's insane. Take church off your sign if you need a consultant to help you figure out how to talk about the God that you say you love, he tells us how we are to refer to him. And if we love him and we take the revelation of him seriously that he gives us, we don't need anybody from out there to come in and tell us how to talk about him. He reveals himself as father and should be honored as such by the people who claim to follow him. Amen? This, this stuff ain't hard. <laughs> I'm watching myself. I'm being good. If you got your Bibles, Second, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through uh, 16. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Because I want you to hear it all. And then we'll go back and we'll begin to walk through. Remember, there's division in the church and Christ is not divided. So it's not God's fault there's division. It's the people's fault. And Paul is putting on display for them for the last couple weeks. And we still got a couple more weeks to go all the way into chapter 4. Paul is contrasting and comparing the wisdom of God revealed through a crucified Christ versus the, the wisdom and power of men. Wisdom and power of God and the wisdom and power of men. The wisdom and power of men. And last week, I think this is the service we talked about. Rousseau and Karl Marx and, and all these guys that have a great talk. And the people, the people, the people. But they hated the people. They were ginormous hypocrites. And they're in their atheist, godless uh, re-examination of human society. How do we take God out of everything and be a blessed and flourishing society? That was, their, that was what they were working on. But in the wisdom and the power of men it's always take 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 the people they say they love they take from versus the wisdom and power of God I mean if no one's more powerful than God the creator of all things and and how is his power how is his wisdom revealed through giving men take God gives for God so loved the world he gave his son the epitome of all of the wisdom and all of the power of God revealed in the life and the death 
and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ to give us life, abundant life here and eternal life in his presence, in his glory forever. Verse 6, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. God, you are good. And I am thankful for you. I'm thankful for your hand upon us, your presence with us. Lord, I'm thankful to be with brothers and sisters this morning who love you, long for you, want to know you uh, more deeply and more personally. Lord Jesus, may your spirit be present this morning. Lord God, even now we, we sense you and we're, we are, our hearts burst with thanksgiving that you are here to teach us, to lead us, to guide us. You don't leave us blind, deaf, and dumb, but you take scales off our eyes. You grow us into mature men and women of God. We're thankful this morning. Uh, do your work. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior that we pray, and every real Christian said, Amen. Amen. Verse 6. Now, chapter 2 began with, with Paul saying, I didn't come to you with a great sermon outline. And I like Paul, I didn't either. I got a few things written down here. I didn't come here with this display, with this memorized oratory experience, this display of human intellect and philosophy and reason. No, I came to you 
knowing nothing except one thing. And that one thing is the only thing. It's where all the wisdom and power of God are on display through a crucified Christ, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. That's all I know. And the power of God took that simple message and built a church where there was no church. And this is how the wisdom of God is given to us through this crucified Christ. Verse 6, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Now, let's talk about that word mature, that fully formed. The Bible doesn't speak of Christians. There's a lot of immature Christians that are going to be in heaven, amen? But there's there's no varsity, junior varsity Christian. People are saved by the grace of God. They believe in Jesus. They go to heaven. Some are going to die more immature in their faith, but some are going to be fully formed. And you know what the Bible says every time, especially Paul, when he talks to the mature? The mature shoulders carry a heavier load. I bought a sign for our church office when, at our elder retreat of Back in February, when I saw the sign, I just knew it was perfect for us and for our staff. The sign says, I'll be nicer if you'll be smarter. (laughs) Right, and that's a joke, and you know, it's tongue in cheek. Uh, But the reality is for mature Christians, our shoulders have to be a little broader. When somebody next to us who is a brother or a sister in Christ, when they say something dumb, we don't reach out and knock them like we want to. Instead, we... Brother, let me help you grow so you don't say stupid things like that anymore. It is up to the mature to reach out, to lend themselves to the immature brothers and sisters that we have in our church, that we have in our small groups, that we have in our families. As I see a couple ladies nudging their husbands. Thanks for, I appreciate the mercy laugh. Yet among the mature, remember, they're divided over their leaders. We do impart wisdom. Now, underline, we do impart. And I want you to see, because it happens not only in verse 6, it happens in verse 7. We impart. It happens again in verse 13. We impart. Paul is, because the people are divided. We follow Apollos. Well, we like Peter better. Well, we like Paul better. Paul is saying we, all of us, all the leaders of the church impart not the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of God unto you. And listen, you may have seen, this is so important, you may have seen in our lobby, you know, every January we go through our vision series and we talk about our discipleship strategy. We go through love and devotion and passion and legacy, but you might have seen four other signs in our lobby They have different words written on them. You might have wondered what those are. We call them our theological distinctives or uh, our core values. They are, we are God-focused. We are Bible-based. We are gospel-centered. And we are spirit-filled. Because God imparts wisdom In this way, how many of you left the church? That is, you know, there's, if you start at the wrong place, you're going to get to the wrong place. 
It's a pretty smart statement, right? There is anthropology, and then there is theology. Anthropology is the study of mankind. Now, religion is part of human society, so a lot of people take an anthropological approach. What does man say about God and who God is? But if you start at the wrong place, you're going to get to the wrong place. If you are at a church that says, let's study the life of David, and here's 10 ways you can be just like David. You know what I love about the Bible? God tells not only the strengths of the people he uses, but also their failures. If you read the whole story of David, you don't want to be anything like him, amen? In fact, there's not a good father in this room that would allow David to stand on his front porch for more than 30 seconds. Again, you got to know his story. Those who laugh do. Our job is not to be like David. Our job is to see the God who is behind David. We're God-focused. We're not man-centric because man always gets it wrong. Always. God-focused. Bible-based because God, the agnostics are wrong. We can know God. Why? Because God has revealed himself. God has spoken, thus saith the Lord. God has told us who he is and what he's doing so that we can know that we know that we know. And where does truth come from? It comes from the mouth of God who we are focused upon, where God focused. So we're Bible-based. Everything, all the answers to life that we need are found right here from the author and the finisher of our faith, God himself. We impart this wisdom. Get your eyes off yourself. Put your eyes back on God. Get your answers from his word. And guess what? His word, whether you're reading about marriage or family or gender or whatever questions you have, God's word always points us back to Jesus. It's, we're gospel-centered and spirit-filled, it is through the work of the Spirit that we, we learn and know and are, are led and guided by God through his word, through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I love, I've been thinking about the story of Job a lot as I was studying chapter 2 of First Corinthians, because the story of Job is, is so awesome. Many of you may not know this, but we believe that Job is actually chronologically the first book of the Old Testament written. It was written before Moses and, the, and the, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. The Torah, the law, as the Jews call it. And what do we learn from the very first chapter of Job? We learn that God is in control. We see a vision of the throne room of God. And who is having a conversation with God? Satan himself is having a conversation. And in that we see the sovereignty of God. Satan cannot do anything without God's permission. Is that awesome or what? Just know. Because some of you, you've, the devil made your car tire flat this morning. 
Right? We, got, we got a lot. We blame Satan for a lot of things. But there is nothing Satan can do because Satan is a created being. The angels are a created race by God the same way we are created. Just a little lower than the angels. But in the image and likeness of God. God is sovereign. Satan is complaining. He can't turn anybody, change anybody's mind from honoring God. And God says, have you considered Job? You considered my servant, Job. And Satan's like, you're going to let me mess with Job? And he's like, yeah, you can mess with him. Don't kill him, but you can mess with him a little bit. Job is a wealthy man at the time. Job's got a, a hopping family. that They're laughing around the dinner table. Job has everything going for him at this time. But God says, Satan, you can mess with Job for a little while. And Satan goes. And we know the story of Job in just a few chapters. He loses everything. He loses his wealth. He loses his family. He even loses his health. And he's laying in this wretched skinny pile of, of human bones with blisters and boils all over him. His wife looks at him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? And then, and I, I swear Job is a comedy. It's all about suffering, but it's funny. For 30 chapters, Job has three friends that come to cheer him up. And for 30 chapters, these friends are like, Job, look at your life, man. You've done something wrong. You have really made a mess. You have angered God. God has done this to you because you have made him mad. And Job just keeps sitting there shaking his head going, I don't feel like I've done anything wrong or against him. I don't know what I've done. And then towards the end of the book, a man who's been there and heard all the conversations between Job and his three friends, a man named Elihu, speaks up. And this is what I love. Elihu first chastises the three friends. He's like, man, you guys are terrible friends. You are not helping Job at all. Shut up. And then he chastises Job. He says, Job... Get your eyes off yourself and back onto God. Get, you, and isn't it true we've all played the victim? Feels good to be a victim every now and again, doesn't it? It feels good to feel sorry for ourselves. It feels good to say, well, you know, my life's not the way I wanted it to be because so-and-so over there, and I had a high school coach that didn't spend enough time with me and my ball skills and this, that, and the other, and it's their fault, his fault, her fault, I married the wrong person, blah, 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 blah. Eeyore, where's my tail? I lost it again. There's a problem when our eyes are on ourselves. When our eyes are on ourselves, we're operating in the wisdom of man, the power of man. This is not the wisdom that Paul or Apollos or Peter are trying to convey to the Corinthian church. There's a better wisdom that comes from God. There's a better power that comes from God. It's that that we're trying. Get your eyes off of yourself and back. become God-focused in all your dealings. That's where wisdom and power from God begin to operate in your life. Right here, right now, your life can be better. Put your eyes on your creator. 
Among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. One of my favorite poems by uh, Blake Shelley, William Blake Shelley, it's called Ozymandias. And I've told you this before, but but he was inspired at an archaeological dig in Egypt. They found this statue that had this inscription at the bottom. It was a statue of one of the kings, one of the pharaohs. And the inscription said, Look upon me, all you, and fear and tremble. Look at all the works of my hands. And what struck Shelley in, and what caused him to write the poem is, they only found the bottom part of the statue. The, the, the actual figure of the Egyptian ruler had been cut off at the knees. So you got these two feet up to the knees with this inscription, Fear and tremble before me in my great works. This is the fallacy of human greatness. Who do we think we are? We are gnats. There, uh, some of us go on and we, and we do some great things, but even in the height of our greatness, there's no real power. There's no real wisdom because only real wisdom and only true power come from God, the creator of all things. Who do we think we are like, like Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel looks at Nebuchadnezzar, this great king, and he says, you need to humble yourself before God. You need to be more humble. I know you're the king, but humble yourself before God. And in the next chapter, we see Nebuchadnezzar on the roof of his palace, looking out over, uh, over the land of Babylon, and he actually says out loud, am I not the greatest leader ever? If you know the story... It's when God takes his mind from him and this great king in all of his worldly power is on all fours eating grass like an animal of the field. This is the greatness of man. When we judge ourselves, oh man, we can find some good things to talk about ourselves. But when we put our greatness next to God himself, we realize there is nothing, each and every human being, doesn't matter who we are, what we've accomplished, where we come from, the greatest ball players, the greatest speakers, the greatest politicians, the greatest building builders, we all die the same way in humility able to take nothing of our achievements on with us. I was reading a couple weeks ago, Raquel Welch passed away. How many of you know who Raquel Welch is? Right? All, most guys, we've seen the pinup posters of Raquel Welch. My mom, when I was a kid, had a, a workout book with Raquel Welch that I looked at quite a bit. She was one smoking hot lady, amen? But nobody was taking pinup pictures of her in the last years of her life. She was in her 80s when she passed away. This is the fallacy. So many of us, we get that day in the sun. We get a spotlight shined upon us. 
And we tend to overestimate our value and our contribution in the world. But all this like the grass of the field withers away. All human power, all human wisdom is fleeting. It's a chasing after the wind, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun, which is why we must give ourselves not to what everyone else is chasing that is there for a moment but fleeting and gone. No, we're not chasing the wisdom of this age. We are chasing The wisdom of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God is what we want operating in our lives. We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Before God, and we've all read Ephesians. We know Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2. Before the foundations, before the pillars were set upon which God created all things. His wisdom was fully decreed through his son, Jesus Christ, and sealed in God's people through the power of his spirit. So many people missed it. We're going to find out why in a second. They were blind to the kingdom of God. They were blind to the things of God. But, but those, those hidden things, the hidden purpose and plan of it was always there. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Man, if they could only have seen, they never would have killed Jesus. So I love the story in Acts with Peter and John. I think we talked about this last week or the, or the week before. You know, or they're caught teaching about Jesus and the, the rulers of the synagogue are up in arms and you can't be doing this. You can't be talking about Jesus. And they say, uh, we can't stop talking. I'm sorry, you do whatever you want, but we can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. And they, they marveled at these uneducated uh, blue collar fishermen spoke with this courage and with this expertise as they talked about Jesus. They took notice of them. But the one thing I love when Peter and John are talking to the the leaders of the synagogue, the rulers of the temple, they said, hey, you remember Jesus. You know, the guy you killed. You remember him, don't you? That's how we're doing these great works. It's through the power in the name of Jesus. Baffled the leaders. Pontius Pilate, I feel sorry for him every time I read that section where Jesus, the king of truth, the embodiment of all that is true and holy and good, is standing there before him. As Pontius Pilate is in an existential dilemma about what is truth. And truth is standing right there, looking him in the face. But he can't see. He was blind to the truth. Like so many are today in these nonsense conversations that we're having in our world. Just utter nonsense disguised as progression. They can't see reality. They can't see truth. They can't see the wisdom of God. Even though God has stood before them and revealed himself through Christ Jesus. If they could see, they would have never have killed him. 
But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love them, just because they can't see, shouldn't steal our joy. Quoting from Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah is a big book. Chapter 64, verse 4. God is and has been. Jesus said, it's good that I go away. And we're fixing it in verse 10. We're going to see the role and the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, I got to go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. As the world tries to beat us down and as, as we are become frustrated by their blindness, we've got to remember God has a purpose and God has a plan and there is a place prepared for us where we are going to spend eternity with him in new, uncorruptible bodies that never age, never get sick, never feel pain or sadness. We're going to spend eternity in this place God has prepared. We can't even imagine, although God tells us what it is like when we finally get there and have our minds blown by the greatness of the glory of God in this place that, that he has made specifically for us. These things, verse 10 God has revealed to us. How do we know them? Because God has spoken. God has revealed himself. We can know that we know that we know. Because it's God who has told us. These things that God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, most of you that are, have been Christians a while... You know there are a couple places in Scripture that talks about the Holy Spirit of God. In the beginning of Acts, we see the great day of Pentecost. And we see the Holy Spirit in chapter 5 dropping Ananias and Sapphira dead in the New Testament church. Because they lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. When we get into John, we, we see John chapter uh, 14, John chapter 16 are all about the works of God's Spirit, how God's Spirit leads and guides us into all truth. And here in 1 Corinthians, we're going to spend eight or nine weeks walking through chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14, which are all about how God's Spirit gifts us to be ministers unto one another in the name of God uh, and for the sake of the gospel. Most people think in 1 Corinthians, that's where the work of the Holy Spirit is really happening in chapter 12. Chapter, but right here in the next six verses, 10 through 16, the Holy Spirit is mentioned more than all the times he's mentioned in chapter 12. He's mentioned twice as many times here as he is in chapter 14. Because the wisdom of God and the power of God, we can only know, we can only possess, we can only operate in through the work of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. This is how it happens. This is how the blinders come off of our eyes. This is how the blind are made to see and the lame are made to walk. It is through the work of God's Spirit. If you are in this room today and you love Jesus, you love being at church, you love the Bible, you love growing, you love uh, the presence of God in your life, you want to seek Him, you want to pray, praise the Lord. 
Because it is his work in you that causes you to be that way. It's not because you're Raquel Welch having your day in the sun and you're so great. Everybody wants to take a picture of you. Welcome to Four Points. If you're ever at a church where they're telling you you're the greatest, you're not in the church of Jesus Christ. All have fallen short, Romans 3 says. All have sinned. No one seeks God. We're not Christians because we're smart enough people. We're Christians. And this is where worship comes from. This is where thanksgiving comes from. We realize that God has done something for us that we would have never done for ourselves. This is the wisdom of the crucified Christ. And it's why in chapter 1, look back at verse 29. This is why no human being might boast in the presence of God. Look at verse 31. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why is our boasting only in what God has done? Because we wouldn't be saved if he hadn't built the bridge all the way to us. It is God's work through his spirit that brings us into his wisdom. That reveals to us the power of God in changing our hearts from unbelief to faith in his goodness and in his grace. That's why only his name should ever be coming off of our lips. Not, you know how many theology books I have read? Thank God that he put the desire through the power of his spirit in you to want to know him more. Our boasting is not in ourselves, our education, our leadership. Our boasting is in the God who saves his wisdom, his power on display through a crucified Christ. Where am I? These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. I've got 14 minutes, so I've got to hurry, but turn to John chapter 3 with me really quick because I don't want you to leave here thinking that you are the greatest. <laughs> I want you to leave here knowing that greatness, true, not the wisdom that's on display from Hollywood, not the wisdom that's on display from the music industry. Not the wisdom that's on display in the business world or the political world or in any nation. It's hypocritical. It comes and goes. If one more Hollywood star puts their finger in my chest about not driving an electric car <laughs> as they get on their private jet and fly to their villa in Italy... Give me a break! Hypocrite! Everything in this world, the wisdom of this world is blind, deaf, and dumb. It looks like power, but it's not power. It's shallow. And they, they take and take and take to try to get more of it. And then they die just like everybody else. It's a different wisdom. And it comes through. Not our ability to process and see it. We can't see it until God reveals it to us. This man named Nicodemus comes and he meets with Jesus. And he's a leader. Let's read chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now the Jews had a group of people 
70 people called the Sanhedrin. They made all the laws and tried all the, the bad guys. Nicodemus was part of this group. So he's an important man. He's a man with worldly wealth and worldly influence and worldly power. And he comes to Jesus by night. A lot of people say he came by night because he didn't want any of his, any of his friends to see. But uh, I don't think that's the case at all. I think both he and Jesus had a lot of responsibility. They were very busy guys, and night was the only time they could find to come together. But this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, shows, shows respect to Jesus. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. So Nicodemus comes to God, comes to Jesus and says, I know you're from God. There's no way. I've heard your sermons. I've seen miracles that you have performed. There's no way you can't be from God. And he's asking a serious question here, a question that we need to get the answer right. As Jesus answers the question, he says, Rabbi, I know you come from God. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Who sees the kingdom of God? Someone who's been given a new heart. It's the only way to see the kingdom. It's why when you're at Starbucks and you're proclaiming the gospel and you feel the Holy Spirit all over and your eyes are welling up with tears as you talk about your Lord and Savior, but the person across the table is just glazed over like that dog. <laughs> Something has to happen. New birth has to happen to see the kingdom. If you can see it, praise the name of the Lord. You got to be born again. Nicodemus. I love, I love the straightforward question. He's like, how, how is that supposed to happen? How do you make that happen? How do I make that happen? You can't. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's taking things very literally, which we see the humor in. But don't miss the power of this text. Jesus says this because it's impossible except by the Spirit. How can a man be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, a woman's water breaks and then she gives birth. There's physical birth. Unless one is born physically and the spirit. You gotta be born of water and the spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You don't see the wind, but you, you can hear it. You can see the effects of the wind. Oh, I turned from John 3 back to 1 Corinthians. Yeah, I just meant to turn the page. You hear a sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus says, how can these things be? The physical man. The wisdom of this world, the power of this world cannot comprehend the things of God. That's what we're going to get back to Corinthians. It's what it says. 
How can these things be? And Jesus answered him. And again, there's so much comedy in the Bible. Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, our crucified Christ must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The natural man cannot see. The natural man cannot understand the things of God unless his heart is made new and he is born again through the work of God's very spirit. Again, this is why this should inspire worship in us of the God who saves us, who helps us see what we cannot otherwise see. These things, verse 10, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Who knows God better? Let me ask you a question. Who do you think you know in this world? Most of us would say, well, our spouse. Sarah and I, we've been married 22 years. If anybody knows me, Sarah knows me. But not every thought that pops into this brain I share with her. <laughs> Who knows me better than anyone else? Me, I know me. I know the inside of me. I know every thought I've ever had. I know every motivation. I know me better than anyone else. So who knows God better? Man, I have memorized, tried to memorize every word that has come out of his mouth, but I don't know him like he knows himself. Which is why God sends his spirit who knows the motivation, the goodness, the glory, the perfection, the sorrow. He knows all things about himself. And it is he who comes to teach us and to grow us and to lead us and guide us into all Truth, praise God that God gives himself and that we can know his wisdom and his power that will end the divisions that occur among us. Verse 12, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. We impart this. These, these are not our own. How can Paul speak with such authority as a human being to other human beings? How can Apollos, where does his authority come from? What about Peter? Peter is just a dumb fisherman. How can he lead and proclaim truth to other people? How can I stand on this stage right now and proclaim anything to you? Do you know who I am? I got a couple degrees, but I am class A number one ding dong. Amen. I knew I'd get an amen sometime. 
How can we do it? Because we do so in an authority that is not originate in us or from us. It is an alien authority that comes from, man, I have decided I know nothing except Christ Jesus and him crucified. This is where the authority comes from. This is why we proclaim the way we do because there is truth in this world of lies and it comes from the origination of truth, the one who is truth himself. God Almighty, his spirit gives us authority to proclaim his words to other people because God still wants to save lots more people, amen? Everything that is good that comes out of us comes from God's spirit at work within us. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. They're folly. It just doesn't make sense. We talked about Richard Dawkins a couple weeks ago. It's just, I can't believe you. You've got all this brain power. You know all this mathematic stuff. And then you just talk about this Jesus. It's, it's foolishness to them. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person and ushers, if you'll, our sacrament team, if you'll come and begin to pass out the elements to our body of believers. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. When we leave this earth, why is it that we're not going to stand between a jury of our peers to figure out whether we get into heaven or not? (laughs) The natural man and the wisdom and power of this age, led by the rulers of this age, which the Bible says are nothing more than demons and doctrines that come from demons. Why are we not to be judged by them? Because there is half of reality that they are blind to. The natural man can't see the things of God, the, the spirit of God, the kingdom of God. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Take us back to Job as you're getting your blood of Christ and body of Christ. After Elihu speaks to the three friends of Job and Job himself rebuking them and calling them to get their eyes off of themselves and back onto the Lord, that's when at the end of the book, God himself speaks. And he says, were you there, Job? Were you the one giving me counsel in my ear when I carved out the mountains? Or set the deep upon the pillars that I constructed? Were you, were you there? And it's when Job remembers, oh, I'm speaking about things I do not understand. Forgive me, Lord. As we go into this time of communion, may it be a time where we take our eyes off of ourselves Put them back on the God of the universe who through his grace opened our hearts and opened our eyes through his spirit to 
the perfect reflection of himself. In the face of Christ, we see the face of God, for he is God, God who became flesh and dwelt among us, who lived the perfect human life that we did not live and could not live, and then died in our place for our sins. And they put him, wrapped his body, and put him in a tomb because he was as dead as any dead human has ever been. But through the power of God's spirit, the Lord raised him back to life uh, so that when we put our faith in him fully, he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered hell. And in the power of his resurrection, we can know God's wisdom and God's power Right now, as well as existing in his glory for eternity in the perfect place that he has prepared for us. Think on these things as we celebrate his body and his blood.